Asbury, Methodist Village, and Montgomery County take senior living to the next level, creating extraordinary opportunities for a fulfilling future. Work your brain and body in our new wellness center. Stroll our expansive campus and 17-acre nature preserve. Stay sharp with our resident-run college and find so many new ways to get involved and make a difference for others. Anticipate more from your retirement. Visit asburymethodistvillage.org today. Your future's here. Equal opportunity housing provider. Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Tool Shed. This is episode 133 of the Fantrax Tool Shed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have a really fun episode today, breaking down a mid-season dynasty mock draft that I am in, along with our guest. And with me, of course, to break it all down, is my 80 great co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, man? I feel left out now. I passed up. (laughs) It's your own fault. I, I I know. I passed up. I've had a lot going on. Been pretty busy, so I turned down Nathan Dynasty One Stop, and now I regret it. Like I realize how much I miss drafting. Like it's only been what three months since draft season, but yeah, I already miss it. I always say I have to cut back leagues, but I just want to draft even more the next year. So yeah, I should have done a mock, but it's okay. I'm here to analyze it and break it down at least with with you two who are in it. But it it looks fun. I'm I'm a little bit jealous, and just looking at the draft board, you know it's. Cool to see how values have changed. So we're going to talk about it, like you said. You know, dynasty values have changed a good bit. We've updated rankings a couple times in season so far, and yeah, I'm excited for this episode. Looking forward to our guest as well. It's funny how one mo- random mock draft midseason can just set off draft fever once again. <laughs> it's like, oh, you want to? You were saying, oh, I want to do another startup right now. It's yeah, it's it's. You know, when when we're in draft season, obviously drafts are always fun. But near, near the end of it, you're like, all right, I'm ready for the season to start. I'm done drafting. And now it's like, oh, it's been about, what, three, four months since our last draft. And now we're like, all right, getting that itch again. So this yeah. is like just a little, little, little tease just to get you through until we do our drafts this next offseason. So definitely helps. And like we mentioned, we do have a guest here with us today who is in this mock draft with me that we are almost done. I think we're like. 85% done, a few more rounds to go. But this gentleman is a dynasty baseball writer for Fantasy Six Pack, and he's in several dynasty leagues, including I think one, two, three, four of the dynasty one stop dynasty leagues. And he's also in the Highlander dynasty with Chris and I. He is the one, the only Mr. Drew Sperling. Drew, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm good. 
Thanks for having me, guys. How are you doing this evening? No complaints, man. No complaints. Well, my, my Red Sox are losing to the Yankees right now, but outside of that, I'm doing pretty good. Hopefully watching... uh, Chris Chris Sale doesn't hurt himself anymore before he I comes back. I almost kind of wish he would. Just go away, Chris Sale. <laughs> I'm just... If anybody didn't see the, the latest Sale temper tantrum in Worcester, go find the video on, on Twitter or whatever because it's just another one in the long line of Chris Sale meltdowns. But And we'll probably talk Chris Sale a little bit tonight, but Overall, we are going to discuss the dynasty mock draft that we, uh, Chris, not Chris and I, Drew and I are currently in. So we're, it's a 40 round, I think 40 rounds. Yeah, 40 round yep. draft. We are in the middle of round 34. Drew just made his pick actually about five, 10 minutes ago. So we're almost done. It is the standard five by five, but with OBP instead of average. So a lot of fun picks. It's been a very interesting draft, and it started right off the bat with some pretty interesting picks. But before we get into that draft, let's get the usual housekeeping out of the way. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at RotoClegg. I am at AirCross04. Our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And you can find Drew at Drew Sperling, the number one. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon for extra content from both Chris and I and our YouTube channel. And, of course, check out all the other great work we have from the entire team that we have going on over at Fantrax HQ, including our Fantasy Football Draft Kit. That is out right now. So if you're a fantasy football addict as well, what a good, got a good content in there, and we'll just be adding more and more to it as the preseason goes on. But enough enough football talk. This is a fantasy baseball podcast, so let's get right into it here. We're just going to kind of just go round by round, have some free-flowing discussion, you know, picks we like, picks we didn't like, just general thoughts, strategy, just a lot, good mix of conversation here tonight. So let's start right in the beginning. I had the sixth pick. Drew, you had the 14th pick, and there's 16 teams total. A lot of names you'll recognize in here. Michael Waterloo, Drew Wheeler, Peyton Skinner, Jake Devereaux, you know, Jesse Roche, you know, a lot of good people in this draft. So right at the beginning, so it's OVP. So Juan Soto went number one overall. And then things started to get interesting. Right away at pick two, Mr. Drew Wheeler went Julio Rodriguez at pick two. And then see the rest of the first round went Joe Ram at three, Otani four, Cunha at five. I got Tatis at six, which I was absolutely ecstatic about. Seven through 10, Jordan, Kyle Tucker, Bryce Harper, Vladdy Jr., and then 11 through 16, Devers, Trout, Robert, Trey Turner went to Drew at 14, Wander Franco, and Bo Bichette at 16 rounded out the round. Drew, what were your, that first round, looking at it as a whole, what were your general thoughts about how that round went? And on a scale of 1 to 10, how surprised were you to see J-Rod go to? I would say overall the round wasn't too surprising. Maybe... I mean, arguably, Otani could be the first or second pick in a daily moves league. J-Rod going second, maybe, honestly, not that surprised. Maybe like a three or a four, you know, a, a little surprised. But at the same time, he's been phenomenal. And yeah. given his given his age and how much time he still has to adjust, I mean, when you compare him to the people going behind him, I think it actually kind of makes sense. I mean, because he has proven it at the MLB level. I think that's the biggest thing versus when he was a prospect. I mean, going in the 25, pick 25 to 30 range or whatever to now, is he's proven a lot. And, yeah, I think it makes sense, actually. Yeah, you know, my last Dynasty rankings update, like I was saying before we came on the air, I almost put 
him in like my seven to eight range. And then I was like, ah, I can't have him over like Yordan and Devers and, and those guys that are in that back end top 10 range. So I ended up putting him, I think it was 11 or 12, but I should have. I've, I've now, my current live rankings have him sixth overall, six or seven. I'm kind of teetering on that right now, but yeah, he's definitely earned it. Like you look at, yeah, it's early, but half a season, he's on a 30, 40 pace as a 21-year-old rookie, which is absolutely phenomenal. I don't remember the last time we had a 30-40 rookie. Was Conseco a rookie when he went 40-40? You guys remember mm. that? Or was he, he wasn't a rookie, was he? I don't think he I, was. I don't, I don't think he was a rookie, but no. he, I mean, he, he, he was, was pretty young. It was early in his career, though, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, maybe, it was his maybe fourth eight. season. He was 23. What about, what about A-Rod? Did A-Rod do anything close to this when he was... He might have. Like those are the last two I could think of, and that just shows you. Like Kaseko would have been late eighties, and and A Rod in the mid nineties. So yeah, A Rod. His Go first ahead. full was thirty six home runs, fifteen steals, three fifty eight average, hundred forty one okay. runs, hundred twenty three RBI. <laughs> <laughs> so still absolutely insane, Bucky. I thought I thought he had more steals his rookie year, but yeah. still 36-15 with all those counting stats. Yeah, I don't think too average. many people with thirty steals along with the power. Yeah, that early like, in their career. Yeah, and like you know, Chris and I, we talked about this ad nauseum throughout the offseason and earlier this year, but how you know Rodriguez was faster than people gave him credit for. Everyone looked at the bat and you know the power, obviously both elite, but yeah, though did I think he'd be leading the league in steals with 21 through you know, what are we in the second week of July? No, but I thought maybe he could approach 20 early on in his career, maybe he gets you know 30 plus this year. And he's maybe a 25 to 30 guy early in his career. We'll see. But Chris, what were your overall thoughts on the, the first round and then J-Rod it too? Yeah, I did want to note that it is a OBP league. And is it daily moves as well? Yes. Yeah. All right. So that, that does factor in like some of the, I guess, decisions made. But overall, you know, it kind of goes pretty much as expected. And we were talking about this pre-show, but – Last year, or even coming into the season, like preseason, there was like a clear tier one of four players. Like, I would have been okay with you having any one of Acuna, Soto, Vladdy, and Tatis as one through four. But this year, or as we progress through this year, I feel like it's a lot closer than it was. So now you can mix guys in, and we saw that happen. We saw Soto obviously go one, and then it went J-Rod, Joe Ram, Otani, and Acuna, then followed you, Eric, you got Tatis at six. You know, Otani has an argument in a daily league to be number one by him far. You know, obviously you can only get hitter or pitcher stats from him on a single day, but it's literally having a – I'd be curious to see, like, what how much stats you lose if you started him every day he pitched, like how many hitter stats you'd lose. Like, add in the replacement value. I can't imagine you'd lose that much, but you're essentially getting an ace with a – elite bat as well so i think you could argue otani is one in this format but you know overall it kind of went as i would expect maybe the order not as much like vlad going at 10 was interesting but then again like you look at the production kind of warrants it bachette falling to 16 like probably fair based on what he's done but like is the upside yep. even more than that so i, I like yeah, getting trey surprising. turner if yeah trey turner at 14 like i took trey at six in the highlander dynasty prior to this year it's that it was that tier the tier was gone that tier i talked about four and then drew i think you took bachette at five and i had a six picks so i took trey there so this first round is like closer in value than i think we're giving it credit for 
So that is a big tier per se. And there's a lot of value to be had in those first 15 to 16 picks, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Like Like we were saying earlier, you know, the top of dynasty rankings is kind of scrunched up a bit. Like we mentioned, there's, there's that clear cut, like top three or four. Then there's a little bit of a drop than, than a bigger second tier. But yeah, th- I think that first tier like, is still the first tier. But like you said, Otani can go number one in this format. J-Rod's up in this mix now. Like I don't fault anyone for taking Joe Ram that high. Or even, you know, if you want, want to go like Jordan up there, even even Vladdy. I don't think Vladdy's up there for me, but I can see what people would just because of the upside. But yeah, this has definitely been a, a really fun first round. And I wanted to see where Bichette would. I kind of had a feeling where most people would go. But Bichette was the one where, like, all right, the people still think he's, you know, top six, seven, eight. Or is he down, you know, more so in the teens? Like, my last update, I had him 13th overall. I've since moved him down to 14th. Because he's he hasn't been terrible this year. But he's just kind of been, you know, he hasn't been Bo Bichette this year. He's been kind of... Middle of the road, you know, numbers haven't been great. He hasn't been, really been running that much. He only has five steals, but, you know, still 13 home runs, 44 RBI, 45 runs scored. He's played basically every game, so that definitely helps. But, yeah, he's definitely taken a step back. And I think he's a good buy low right now. So I think he's better than what he's shown. Maybe he's not quite, a, you know, top five good like we he saw last year. But I think he can get back into that top ten, back into the top ten for sure. Though on OBP, obviously, he takes a little bit of a hit, obviously, because – not not a big walk rate guy. He never has been. He only has 81 career walks in 1,398 plate appearances. So never been more of like a six-ish percent walk rate guy. So it does take a little bit of a ding in this format. But moving on to the second round. So sneaking back around, we had our first pitcher go. We had how many pitchers in this round? One, two, three, four, five pitchers went in this round, starting with Corbin Burns at pick 17. And then five picks later, or four picks later, we had Shane McClanahan. Then four, five picks after that, Sandy Alcantara. Two picks after that, Garrett Cole. And two picks after that, Alec Manoa. So those are the top five arms in this draft. Filling up the rest of the second rounds. Uh, so Burns went one. Then Bobby Wood Jr., Manny Machado, Corbin Carroll, our first prospect, going at pick 20 to Ben Wilson. And then McClanahan... And Mookie Betts went to Jake Devereaux. Machado went to Drew, by the way, at pick 17. Then we got Jazz Chisholm, Aaron Judge, Pete Alonzo, Sandy Alcantara. I took Xander Bogarts. I was in a very weird range where I didn't know if I wanted to, you know, go Albies or go Buxton or go with a pitcher. I don't want to go pitcher yet, but I don't like going pitchers that early. So I ended up going with the uh, the old veteran at age, what, 28, 29, Xander Bogarts, Garrett Cole, Albies, Manoa, Lindor. And Byron Buxton rounded out that second round. Chris, any anything stand out there to you? Yeah, I'm not surprised the pitcher started falling. This is definitely the range. Like I wouldn't be looking to take a pitcher in the first round. And honestly, like something else we talked about pre-show, the more we've kind of drafted Dynasty, the more I tend to, you know, push back and wait on pitchers. But I, I do think this is a fair range if you're looking to get your first pitcher and you know Burns going 17 or McClanahan at 21, all these are fair spots. I mean, Alcantara has definitely worked his way up that high, so that's a fair spot. Like, literally, he was taking 26. I'm 26 in my rankings. Cole has just been steady Eddie and stays up there. And Manoa. Manoa was really the one that, I guess, surprised me. But I do have him ranked 42, so it's not that egregious of a pick to take him at 30, 30 overall. But, yeah, it's interesting to see. I mean, we had our first prospect as well. 
Corbin Carroll is pretty much the unanimous top prospect at this point for fantasy, I'd say. So it's not a surprise. Like this is kind of replacing where like J-Rod and Witt were valued preseason before they debuted. But you look and Witt's still in that same range. And yeah, one could argue that Witt is much more valuable than Carroll, in my opinion. I think it brings up the question, like, how should you value prospects in Dynasty League? And when is too early to take them? Obviously, Carroll's upside is immense. Like, we've comped him to, like, a Trey Turner type. If he hits his ceiling, which is, you know, obviously, Trey was the number one overall pick for redraft leagues. And his value is is of that. It's just age. It kind of goes against him for Dynasty. But still, it's hard to, in my opinion, take him over guys like Aaron Judge, who's been the best hitter for fantasy purposes, like by and far the top player on the Rasball player rater right now. And there's a lot of good talent you know, that went after Carroll. So it, you can build a team a lot of ways, and it is a mock, so you can also have fun with it and do what you want. But I think it brings up a general strategy discussion. When should you take prospects? I know, Drew, I'll turn it over to you because you have some some good thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I. it's not that I – like, I think Carroll went in the right spot, or uh, I don't think he went in the wrong spot necessarily. I, I just think that um, g- given who else is available and the certainty of playing time right now in production that, you know, we don't have to th- – there there are no more obstacles in the way. You don't have to wait for him to be called up. You, I mean, he could – not that I want this to happen, but, I mean, injuries happen. I mean – Playing time, I feel like, in a certain aspect, is slightly undervalued in dynasty leagues. Maybe sometimes. So I, it's not that I think he went in the wrong spot. It's just I think it would be really tough to draft him over, like you said, Aaron Judge or Mookie Betts or maybe even Jazz Chisholm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I. It's not that I dislike the pick. I. I just feel like, for me personally, I, I like taking prospects a little bit later in the draft. And yeah. having them either develop into that, you know, more elite prospect or I think another thing to consider is every year there are first year player drafts to where you can replenish. I mean, not not to say that we know who it's going to be in the draft, but there's going to be another Corbin Carroll. So you don't have to draft him right now. I mean, you know, you, you can uh, I like taking the certainty of MLB players. Yeah, you know who the next being equal. Yeah, you know who but. the next Corbin Carroll is? It's gonna be Drew Jones. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's a different uh, topic for another day. But yeah, I, I kind of have that that same line of thinking as you do, Drew. Like Corbin Carroll absolutely should be the number one prospect taken in a dynasty draft right now. I agree with that. I was surprised. I I, I thought he might have popped off at like you know around pick forty ish or so, maybe into the thirties. But having yeah, off maybe at, even the thirties. Yeah, like yeah. early third. Like I could see like early third. I definitely could have seen that. Actually, I don't hate the pick. Obviously, I love Corbin Carroll. Chris, you know, you and I have talked about him a lot and pumped him up and his upside, like the Trey Turner upside. But he only went one, two, three, four, five, six picks after the actual Trey Turner. So I think that's just putting a lot of pressure on Carroll to be, you know, at least 90th percentile outcome, which is – Kind of risky, but hey, if, if you're gonna do that with any prospect, I think it's Carroll for sure. Yeah, so yeah, I was in a weird I was in a weird spot. I was hoping actually if McClanahan had fallen to me, he went pick 21 right after Carroll, 
if McClanahan had fallen to me at pick, what is that, 27 or so, I might have pulled the trigger. Like I didn't, I don't like starting with pitchers until like you know fourth, fifth round or so in dynasty drafts. But that would have been very hard for me to pass him up if he fell there. But I was really hoping for the trio that went a few picks before me of Jazz, Judge, and Alonzo. I was hoping one of them would fall to me. They didn't. But you know, Xander Bogarts, I'm okay with. And if I did this over, I might have gone a different direction. But you know, can't be you know mad at having Xander Bogarts in your team. Round three. All right, so this, these are picks 33 through 48 overall. We had Austin Riley, Aaron Nola, Hunter Green popped off at pick 35. Walker Buehler, Tim Anderson, I went Riley Green, so second prospect there at pick uh, was at 38. And then Cedric Mullins, Joe Musgrove, Brendan Woodruff, Andrew Vaughn, Shane Bieber, so you get a lot more pitches in this round, Matt Olson, C.J. Abrams, Carroll in the second round. And then, Drew, you took Freddie Freeman there at pick 46. And then Dylan Cease and Eloy rounded out the, the third round there. So, Drew, you started out Trey Turner, Machado, Freeman. So, definitely definitely a win-now focus for you right there, huh? Yeah. Going into the draft, I was just trying to take what I per- – I mean, everyone has their own perception of value, but I was just trying to take what I perceived to be the, the best value and – Turner, given the fact that he still steals bases and Machado being basically elite again, I I think if he was a year or two younger, perhaps he'd be a first round pick again, possibly even. Yeah. And then Freeman, I don't know that again, if he was even just slightly younger, I I think he would go in like the twenties. So I was just, I was a little surprised to see he fell that far. I mean, I guess at the same time, maybe not being what almost, or is he 33 or almost 33? I think he's almost 33. Yeah, he's almost 33. So I guess it sort of makes sense, but he's just, I feel like the safety of his production and, you know, the more I play Dynasty, I feel like when I first started playing, I, I looked at it in a longer, larger scale of like four, five, six years. I'm going to build this team up you know forever but at the same time when you when you play against a lot of other good players you can't i mean you have to just build the team the best way you can and taking certain production i feel like is a safe way to do that yeah Yeah, and and with that with real quick on freeman before chris jumps in here i was like looking at his career stats the last time he hit under 290 in a season Barack Obama was still in office. It was 2015, and, they, and he still hit 276 that year. And then the last time he hit below 275 was 2012. That just shows you how good he's been for so long. But yeah, sorry, Chris, go ahead, hop in. No, it's on the note of of building that way. I think there's just so many uncertainties that it's just so much safer to try and build a win now team versus you know getting caught up in in the long run. I mean, dynasty leagues fold. Quite often, yeah. you never know what could happen. Injuries happen. You, I mean, you can have a career ender, or you know, you get that young pitcher that you hope build around, and then they blow out their arm. You, you just never know what happens. So, I think the safety of doing something like this is is smart. And yeah, you still have the risk of injuries. Like the Freeman's such a safe bat. You know, you can count on him, and he's the kind of profile that should continue to hit until he's like thirty eight. I think like he just consistent performance that you're going to get out of him. So. 
on that sense of building a team, like obviously like the goal is to build a dynasty. Like you want to have as good of a team for as long as you can, but I'm all about getting the safer MLB production. Like, yeah, you can take somebody else in this range that is younger, maybe even a prospect that's never debuted, but you know exactly what you're getting out of Freddie Freeman. And I feel like 46 is a pretty safe spot, even though he's 32 years old. Like, you, you know, you're going to get plenty of good production for at least three years, like that into his age 35 season. And three years, that's a long time. Like, a lot can happen over that span of time. So, I'll take the safe production all day with Freddie Freeman or that kind of profile in general. I do. I do think it was somewhat appropriate. Like I do like Matt Olson and Andrew Vaughn went right before him. And I, I do like them a lot too. Like I would have been very happy to end up with either one of them as well. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. That that was really, there's a lot of first basemen in that round. So one, two, if you you consider Vaughn still a first baseman, I do long-term and even, so then, Alonzo was the first one in the last round. Oh, the second one to me, Vlad Jr., obviously. So Freeman's technically, you could say, is the fifth first baseman off the board. And it's funny, too, like, seeing, if you look at the draft board, we got Drew and Ben Wilson back-to-back, picks 13-14, and just the stark differences in their strategies. Like, let's just look at the first, really the first six rounds. So first six rounds, Ben Wilson goes Luis Robert, Corbin Carroll, C.J. Abrams, Jeremy Pena, Michael Harris, Glaber Torres. Who was the oldest one there? Torres at 24, Torres. maybe Robert 24. Yeah. So then Drew goes Trey Turner, Machado, Freeman, Story, Rodon, and Nolan Arenado. Who the youngest one there is Turner at 29, probably. Yeah, Turner is Rodon 29. Yeah, so, yeah, something like that. So, yeah, I think yeah. Like, your youngest guy in the first six rounds is still like around a half decade or so older than the oldest guy for Ben. <laughs> so, this, that just shows you like the two, you know, you can do win now, like Drew is looking to do here. You can do win later, like Ben's looking to do. And then you kind of go in the middle. Like, I'm kind of like somewhere in the middle of the two of them. I went obviously Tatis, Bogey, Riley Green. Uh, fourth round, I went Adley Rushman, obviously OBP. So I get two prospects. I said I actually think Adley just graduated, but at the time he was still a prospect. But both prospects in the M, uh, in the major leagues right now. Then I went Severino from an ace, and then Alex Kirilov in the sixth round. So kind of a young team, but a team that you know maybe I don't finish top three. I think year one, maybe I finish like I don't know sixth, seventh range or so. But then years two, three, I think that's when my team was really coming into its own. Once Kirilov gets gets his footing, Green and, and Rushman and. Tatis hopefully can stay in the damn field, but yeah, definitely you can see like the three strategies right there: win now, win later, and kind of win in a little bit, as I like to call it. But yeah, so let's just keep going here. Let's go to the next. So let's go two rounds at a time, and we're not going to go every pick throughout the entire thing. But I feel like early on, it's fun to look at each pick. Round four, we go Jonathan India, Julio Urias, Trevor Story to Drew to Drew there, Jeremy Pena, Tommy Edmond, Max Fried, Shane Boz. Zach Wheeler, Dansby Swanson, Spencer Torkelson. I got Adley Rushman, Brian Reynolds, who's having a nice little bounce back last month or two. Corey Seager, Josh Hader, Paul Goldschmidt, and George Springer. And then round five, O'Neill Cruz. That's pick 65. I think everybody's kind of wondering where O'Neill Cruz would go. Kyle Wright went right after him. Luis Ares, Marcus Semien, Logan Gilbert. I took Luis Severino. Logan Webb, Zach Gallen, 
Ian Happ, Jacob DeGrom, Carlos Correa, which caused a nice little discussion in the <laughs> in the league. Uh, we had a little DM group going here on Twitter, and it was really me and my former five-tool buddies, Jake Devereaux and Jesse Roach, that were doing a lot of the talking in that, but that was a fun little discussion. Willie Adames, Michael Harris, Carlos Rodon to Drew, Will Smith, and T. Oscar Hernandez rounds out at pick 80. So rounds four or five, Chris, what stands out to you there? Well, there's a lot of fun names. There's a lot of you know, names that have really popped up this year that have moved up boards pretty significantly. I mean, Jeremy Pena, I think that's more than a fair spot for him at this point. But, you know, he was on minimal. Like if you drafted, let's say you drafted a dynasty draft in like January of this year, I'd be baffled if he went inside most top 300s. But he's had a killer year, so he's moved up significantly. Freed's moved up some. He's had a stellar year. Shane Boz, I think, is a great buy. The upside is certainly there for him to yep. push up into that round two range. I mean, Dansby's moved up because he's you know been one of the best hitters in baseball. Torkelson's interesting. Like this is where I would have valued him before, but he's really struggled. I'm just curious, like if you let him go, like how far does he fall? Because for me, like he's really fallen down. Like he's a back end top 100. So it everybody values differently. So it's really hard to say like where his value settles in. But I think now is probably the time to buy low on Torkelson. I'm at least willing to take a shot now in a trade because I feel like the value, like this is the appropriate time to buy a prospect. There's some other fun names. Obviously, Goldschmidt's going to be 35 soon, but he's just still performing. Cruz, as you mentioned, where his value could skyrocket. Kyle Wright, another one that moved up significantly, and we talked about him a little bit pre-show. He feels like a safe bet. I think he's a safe, like, back-end SP2, high-end SP3. So, you know, he fits somewhere in this range. He's more back-end top 100 for me, but he's one that's moved up. Luis Arise, interesting pick. I mean, you know, batting average is certainly there if you're looking for that. Gilbert's moved up. Luis Severino, who you took, Eric, is back into, you know, looking like an ace, like that he was when he was healthy. So a lot of fun names. Correa, what's Correa, is Correa 27? He is, yeah. I think that's right. Yes, yeah. he, he he came up at twenty, if I recall correctly. Yeah, he'll turn twenty-eight at the very end of this season, September twenty-second. Interesting. He he just feels like he's been around so much longer, but he's had his you know he's had his time where he's been hot and you really going. Michael Harris, man, he's a stud. It's interesting to watch his ascent too. Like you mentioned, Jeremy Pena, but Harris has probably moved up significantly more. But Harris is one that I think is legit. You know, I've seen him. He hits the ball incredibly hard. His numbers, his exit velocity numbers aren't really stand out by any means. But I'm telling you, he hits really solid line drives. I think he's a few tweaks away from being a – and he's on pace for 20 home runs easy. But I think he's – you know, he could tweak the swing a hair. And I wouldn't be surprised if he can get to 25 and his speed and hit are legit. So, to me, Harris is a lock, like 280-2020 type guy, and that's very valuable. The best value, though, is the last pick of round five in T. Oscar Hernandez. Where Agreed, yep. He, I guess everybody was just off on him. And probably when the draft started, like he was just kind of picking up where like he had been taking – like he's he's been hot, but he was probably just starting that hot streak. And overall, like he's been pretty uninspiring, you know, as for the whole season. But, you know, I think once he got back and got healthy and got in a groove, since June 1st, he's hitting three 311. 355 OBP, 561 slug, seven home runs, two stolen bases. Like that's really who you were drafting on a B preseason. So I don't think he'd go there if the draft started today. 
But that's excellent value by Nathan Dynasty One Stop to get him at 80, I think. Yeah, I, I tried getting too cute with it. I should have taken him when I took Severino. And I'm not, I, I like my Severino pick, but I was like, I'm sitting there. I'm like, all right, I think, yeah, I think you said it was like he was starting to get hot again, but overall, the numbers are still pretty bad at that point in time. So, like, all right, I think I can get him next round. Well, I was too cute with it, waited too long, should have scooped him up there. But yeah, absolutely, that was a great value. You know, Michael Harris, I think, was about where I expected him to go. Harris is basically what us Red Sox fans hoped that Jaron Duran could be. And I think he still could. I do like Harris more, obviously, but it's just some hope for Jaron Duran. But yeah, Harris, I think we all hope that Duran was doing what Harris is doing right now. Yeah, a lot of pitchers in this round. I think everybody outside of one, two teams without a pitcher at this point, Michael Waterloo, who took pitchers, Usman and Kopech in six and seven. And then Ben Wilson's the other one, doesn't have a pitcher yet through five. He took his first Tyler Glass now at was it round seven. So yeah, that's a really fun round. Obviously, some interesting picks there. Luis Arez really surprised me, but Ian Happ I think went a little higher than I was anticipating. But you know, about you know, no big surprises there outside of Arez and maybe Happ. But uh, rounds four and five. Any thoughts from you, Drew? Yeah, the. I was definitely looking at Tay Oscar. I just felt like I, I didn't have a pitcher up up until that point, and I needed I needed someone to anchor the team if I was actually going to build a a win now, yeah, a win now oriented team. And I may have even waited a little too long to draft my second one. But anyway, yeah, the Tay Oscar pick. I, I think he just started the year. The, the start of the year was really rough. And if people haven't been paying super close attention recently to uh, Toronto games, they, I think he just sort of fell off the radar a little bit. Payne, the Jeremy Pena, he he's basically I Adam added him as a free agent and or a waiver wire pickup in TGFBI, and he's basically the reason or a very strong reason to why I'm doing so well in that. Torkelson, yeah, I guess I'm I didn't really know where. I, I didn't know where to rank him because I, I dra- actually drafted him in the second round of Highlander before I traded him to Jordan. And I, I guess that surprised me a little bit. I thought he might fall a little bit further. I like O'Neill Cruz a lot. Well, like you mentioned, uh, Kyle Wright seems like a very safe pick. Severino being back. Yeah, Ian Happ, I guess, fell a little bit. I don't know. I, I guess I haven't been paying close enough attention, but that surprised me a little bit because he had fallen more into like the 150 to 200 range not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah, Michael Harris looks really good. Other than that, I, I think the the two rounds looked looked pretty normal. I think Tommy Tommy Edmond, the emphasis on stolen bases, kind of him and Swanson going in the fourth round. I Yeah, I guess it kind of alludes to the fact that you need to have some sort of plan to draft some stolen bases on your team. If you plan on competing soon or even in the future drafting prospects with with some stolen base potential yeah i i kind of didn't get as much speed as i wanted to like i got some but it really hinges on tati's anchoring that team speed wise like bogey will give you a handful green i think can get like you know maybe 10 12 in that range but outside of that i probably should have tackled speed more though i did grab some speed later on I will get into some prospects I took Lawler. and some guys later on. Was that? Yeah. Lawler, yeah, I got him. I love Jordan Lawler. I was just going to say Jordan Lawler. And Tatis is a pretty safe anchor, too. 
Yeah, I think he, he'll still give me, I think, at least 20 plus bare minimum. So assuming he can get back on the field and stop having all these stupid like motorcycle injuries and all that. But yeah, this rounds up the the first five or yeah, first five rounds. We'll get into rounds six through 10 and, you know, we'll get as far as we can, give you some good analysis and some more player discussion. But let's take a quick break, get a word from our sponsor and we'll, we'll come back on the other side and get right back into it. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Fantrax Toolshed right after this. All right. Thank you for sticking around for our ad read here. Support for Fantrax Toolshed is now brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package, Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping using the code TOOLSHED at manscaped.com because you know you need a new tool for your shed. The Performance 4.0 package by Manscaped has arrived and it is a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, a Weed Whacker ear and nose trimmer, the Crop Preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. The Lawnmower 4.0 is the trimmer of the future of grooming and, dare I say, the greatest ball trimmer ever. I'm blown away by the performance and the craftsmanship of this trimmer. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof, which means you can use it in the shower, and it has a 400K LED spotlight, which you need for the more precise shaves. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. You thought that was good, but you want to take your grooming game even further. You can In the 4.0 package, you get the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer, which is also waterproof. The Crop Preserver Below the Waist Deodorant and Crop Reviver Below the Waist Toner will change the way you approach your daily hygiene routine. Manscaped even throws two free gifts in for you in the 4.0 package, the boxers and the shed travel bag. Bring your comfort in boxers to another level. It's time to take care of yourself. Go to manscaped.com and get some new tools for your shed using the code toolshed to get 20% off and free shipping. All right. Welcome back from the break. We'll go a little quicker now. It's you know second half of the show, getting into rounds you know six and beyond here. I'll list the next three rounds here, and then we'll just have some discussion. So round six through eight, so we're talking picks, quick math, 81 through 128. Well, goes Randy Rosarena, Alex Bregman, Nolan Arenado to Drew, Gleyber Torres, Lucas Giolito, Dustin May to Jake Devereaux, which is the most Jake Devereaux pick of all time. Brian Hayes, Ty France, Taylor Ward, breakout from this year. He's still down a little bit, but I was interested to see where he went in this draft. Freddie Peralta, I took Alex Kirilov, Kettle Marte, Tyler O'Neill, Gunnar Henderson, obviously huge breakout prospect this year who maybe we see, maybe not this year, but definitely by early next year. And then Verlander and Gaussman running up round six. Round seven, Michael Kopech, Max Scherzer, Spencer Strider goes pick, uh, was at 99 overall. Uh, he's another one where I was kind of interested to see where he fell. Robert Hassel, who I was kind of hoping fell to me. Obviously, I'm a big Hassel guy, but he goes pick the 100 on a dot 
And then we got Frankie Montas. I went George Kirby, Jordan Walker, Wilson Contreras, Alejandro Kirk, Alec Thomas, Luis Castillo, Emmanuel Classe, Tower Glasnow, Drew took Jose Altuve, Saya Suzuki, which really upset Drew Wheeler with Jesse Roche, Tariq Skubal rounded out round seven. Round eight, Chris Bryant, Pablo Lopez, Kyle Schwarber, who can't stop hitting home runs right now, Brendan Lowe, Luis Garcia, Tristan Casas, Mackenzie Gore, CJ Crone, Edwin Diaz, Anthony Volpe. I took Nick Cassianos, thought he'd fallen far enough. Josh Bell, Giancarlo Stanton, Juan Yepes, Adelis Garcia, and Dalton Varshow. So really a good mix of young and old there. we got some prospects like Gunner. We got Hassel, we got Volpe, we got so who else? Thomas just graduated. We got Tristan Cassis, OBP definitely makes sense there. And to D- Jake Deverell, Red Sox fan, of course. But outside of that, I think that's really the only prospects that went there. You know, Drew, what are your general thoughts on this kind of th- three rounds here? Any surprises, any trends you're seeing? What are, what are your thoughts? Oh, overall, I think the only. I'm I'm not overly surprised by any picks necessarily. I think the only the only ones that stand out a little bit on the prospect side for me personally are Jordan Walk. I guess Anthony Volpe has picked it up a little bit. But like I was saying before, in general in this range, I'm just looking for players a little closer, more proven and probably a, a less on projecting the upside or overall potential at least I, I guess at least Garcia proving that he he can be in like an asset especially in an OBP league that's a little surprising Gunnar Henderson's moved up a lot Spencer Strider has been phenomenal I th- think Verlander and Scherzer given their age but the fact that they're still top 125 picks goes to show that pitching is just, it's important, but you don't want to project too much. You, you want to take what's, what's certain more often than not. I think if anything on, on my, on my draft, I'm, if I have a regret, it might be not taking my second pitcher in this range, but overall, I think the draft played out pretty well. I mean, there's nothing that stands out too egregious in either direction. Yeah, I really like that Gunner pick. OBP, Gunner's OBP, I think it's still up in like the 450 range or something like that. Always over 400. So I think I think an OBP that definitely makes sense. Yeah, like Verlander, you know, Scherzer, those types of guys. It's always interesting to see where they fall because it, it depends what your strategy is, right? Obviously, you know, if you're in a win now or even win later type of strategy. You know, you don't. You're not going to want to take a Verlander if your if your window is like two, three years out. That doesn't make sense. But you know, Drew mm-hmm. Wheeler, another guy that had you know uh, after Julio, he went you know, Lindor, Nola, Goldie, Wright, Verlander, Scherzer, Garcia, Cronenworth. So he's definitely more of the win now team. So that makes sense. But you know, how much you know? So two of your picks or top seven picks aren't going to be around for the next you know two, three years at most. So I guess it's how much value do you have on that you know production right now? And obviously Verlander. And Scherzer are top ten arms right now. And that's where I have them in my rankings for for redraft purposes. But obviously they're they're thirty eight and thirty nine. Or is Verlander forty? No, not yet, but pretty damn close. But yeah, I, I thought this was a good range to get my second arm. You know, I went George Kirby there. A lot of fun arms in this range. Like I was hoping Freddie Peralta would fall. I thought the injury might you know put him push him down to that round seven range for me. Uh, I like May Kopech and Strider a lot too. Yeah, Kopech. 
yep, a, a lot of lot of a lot of upside there. Obviously, Kirby though. You know, who put the poll out the other day? I think maybe it was David Mendelssohn. I forget, but Kirby. It was a poll with like Kirby and Strider, Javier, and I forget the fourth. But everyone was like, "Oh, Kirby's easily last." Like that just shows. Like I think Kirby is very underrated. Yeah, he's got the floor. He's got the great command and control, low walk rate, and maybe he doesn't have quite the upside of a of a Kopech or a even a Spencer Strider, but. His upside is pretty damn high too. Like I think he could be, you know, I hate comps, but Aaron Nola, I think is a great comp for George yeah. Kirby. Maybe he won't be the 33, 34% K rate guy, but 26, 27. So still pretty good. Low walk rate, you know, it's good ratios. I, I just think he's going to have a, a very Aaron Nola S career. So get that as my number two behind Severino. The next, my next two pitchers, I didn't, I really regret now. So my next two pitchers, I'll just go ahead. Were rounds nine and eleven. I went Jack Flaherty, who's injured again, who's like the pitching version of Byron Buxton, apparently. And then I went Chris Sale, who everyone knows my thoughts on Chris Sale. I can't stand the guy anymore. But you know, if, if we did this now, I would not have done those picks. Flaherty was still healthy at the time, I believe, when I made that pick. But so that was my no. I guess you can't go wrong with Flaherty and Sale. Was your three four, but. And some other guys on the board, maybe I would have went with. Actually, I'm not even sure who I would have went with. All the other arms are on the. Well, maybe like a, you know, Tony Gonsolin went in that range. Joe Ryan, the Spino. Two picks actually in that range. You know, a lot of prospect pitchers went in this range too. Like Michael Waterloo took three in a row, rounds nine, 10, 11. He went Grayson Rodriguez, who I might have went at pick five picks later, where I took Flaherty if he was still there. Then he went Ricky Tiedemann and Yuri Perez, obviously two huge rising prospects that are. Still a few years away, but a lot of fun picks in this range. Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you're right. It's a lot of good picks. Talked about Strider, another gym tonight. Curious if he stays for a seventh inning, but six innings, scoreless, two hits, two walks, 12 Ks. Pretty nasty stuff. I think he'll see his CSW on the night 41%, 45% whiffs, 23 swings and misses so far through six. It's not bad. So, yeah, I'm curious how high the hype gets on him. It could go too high, I think. It's I mean, it's go. You know, it's going to. It it probably will. <laughs> but he's 23 years old, and he's just looking so dominant. I'm afraid he blows out his arm just because of how hard he throws. Like that's my biggest fear. But you know, he's. I'm gonna take what we can get from him now. He's been the Braves arguably the best starter like he's been for fantasy better than freed probably since he's become a starting pitcher and the freed's yeah. been elite you're getting the strikeouts from from strider that you aren't from freed but overall there's a lot of good picks in this range as y'all have mentioned and hit on you know some of them it'll be curious to look back like where do we value taylor ward at the end of the season he'll be one that i'll be curious like he could move up even more from 89 or he can move down like I don't know with him. Like, there's still a lot of question marks. Like, Ty France, like, these are fair spots for these guys. But, like, which way do they go? Because I think they're kind of, like, on-the-fence type players where they could go either direction, you know, as the season progresses on. Some of the – this is where I really like picking up pitchers, though. Man, if you pounded bats for the first five, six rounds and you pick up a Kopech or Strider in the seventh, and in the eighth you go and get a Pablo Lopez, Luis Garcia, like, you yeah. can build a really good team – doing that it just shows you there's value here to be able to do these things and yet 
you know, Drew, you keep building this win now team. Like Altuve fits that. Arenado fits that very well. Rodon, like all these guys are are built to, you know, for your win now team. So those are things that you like to see and you just keep kind of pounding that strategy and doing like it's crazy. Luis Severino, I think, is only 27. I'm going back to round five here. I don't know why, but sorry, I'm just looking at the board and a lot of good picks from both you guys. So I regret not taking a, a pitcher more in this range, though. Like I, I was curious, the poll you mentioned earlier, Christian Javier went in the 12th round. A guy like uh, Tony Gonsolin in the 10th, even like Robbie Ray at 10 5. Yeah, there were a lot of, I feel like I may have whiffed a little bit by not taking my second pitcher here, but the bats just kept feeling like a really good value. Yeah, and, and you still came out with it with a pretty solid staff. Like, Rowanzi's your two in round 11, and you got Sonny Gray, who's, he's been hurt a little bit, but he's having a pretty solid year. Rasmussen's having a pretty solid year. Thor's back. Tyler Anderson. You know, you got a good win now squad, so... You know, this is a real yeah. guy. Maybe maybe you filled in with some prospects later on. Who knows? But I think that's still, you know, maybe you're not, you know, maybe you're more middle of the pack in pitching. But I think with, with the offense you assembled, and yeah, mm-hmm. obviously you make trades, you can always maybe you deal with Schwarber who's hot for an arm there. Who knows? But, you know, that's not a bad thing. stretch. Yeah, exactly. So also in, in the daily moves, you can plug in like relievers when you're not playing. You can make right. up sets with relievers as well. But, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, really, the next few rounds here, there's a lot of pitching in these next few rounds. Like I, said, I took Flaherty and Sale rounds nine and eleven, which I'm not sure if I like anymore. But you know, one thing that really stood out to me, Ricky Tiedemann, obviously, who's been one of the you know, Chris and I talked about him a few times recently. He's been everything you would want from a breakout pitching prospect. He went pick one sixty. But let me look. Where did I take? I took Andrew Painter. Where did I take Andrew Painter? I didn't take Andrew Painter, actually. Uh, who did I take that I was like wondering why he fell so far? It was Abel. Oh, yeah. I, t- I saw. Okay. So just compare. Yeah. So Tiedemann went round, round 10, end of round 10. Andrew Painter went end of round 24. I got Mick Abel, actually, four picks before that, before Painter. I got like Jackson Job around twenty nine. I was gonna you say know. the Job pick was a pretty good value. If that, that, I think. that was when I was like looking at my board and looking at my queue, I'm like, "What? Jackson Job still there?" There was a couple other like who other was still there that I was kind of surprised by. Like Harry Ford, I got in round twenty eight, who was a top like seventy prospect for me. Obviously, I was a little further away, but at that point, I was very happy with that. You know, let's look at my own picks. Anthony Rendon fell to around twenty five. You know, that's pick. Getting your pick 400, I believe. 25, yeah, 25 times 16 is 400. So that was pick like 390 something. You know, Chris, you now we talked about Rendon previously, and obviously he's 32, uh, 32 years old, can't say healthy. But do you think that Rendon fell a bit further than you thought he would? Yeah, I'm a little surprised that he went that late. Like, I thought maybe 250, 300, yeah. not near 400. Like, we we know what he can do when he's healthy, but going around guys like Taiwan Walker and Spencer Howard, Daniel Bard, like his name kind of stands out. I just think that even if you're competing this year, like it's still a decent pick because probably anything else that you get there near 400, isn't going to help you a ton this year. So you hope he comes back next year and just really, you know, even if he's just a shadow of what he's been and he will say he hits 280 and gives you 25 home runs, 
still pretty solid production for somebody that's going that late. Because if you take a prospect there, you're banking on them doing that. I mean, they could, but there's the risk. We know what Rendon can do. We've seen him do it in the past. So I am a bit surprised that he fell as far as he did. Uh, he was definitely in my queue for at least five rounds. Uh, <laughs> Same at, here. <laughs> at, that, at that point in time, I, I was just backfilling because I desperately needed pitching because I, yeah. I had really yeah. taken a lot of, I mean, I, not only that, I already had like five players that qualified at third base. So yes, you didn't but, really need them, but yeah, between Machado, Arenado, Muncy, Chris Taylor, DJ LeMayu, I'm, but I mean, he could have went easily five rounds sooner. Yeah, yeah he was that, in my queue. That, he that was my queue for a while. Yeah, especially in a daily moves league. I mean, even if even if he is hurt a lot and misses a lot of games, I mean, there you're not going to keep everyone that you draft. So he's definitely an MLB regular when he's healthy. Like that's that's a very solid value. Yeah, and, and I kind of was on the other side of the third base spectrum. I was hurting at third. All I had at that pr- current point in time that qualified at third was uh, Alec Bohm. So kind of needed a third base one year. That was not a position I did very well on in this draft. But so just l- looking at certain pockets in the draft right now, round nine was really intriguing to me. A lot of prospects here. Nine one went, Veen went nine three. Mayor Marcelo Mayer, 9-5, Luciano, 9-7, Miguel Vargas, 9-8. No, I'll, I'll loop Nolan Gorman. I know he's not a prospect anymore, but Nolan Gorman, 9-11, Ellie De La Cruz, 9-12, Christopher Morel, 9-13, and then Royce Lewis, 9-16. So throughout the round, like the, about two-thirds of that round was prospects. Chris, you know, any of those guys that you that really stands out to you as going like either too high or lower than you might have expected? Well, on a general standpoint, I'm not surprised because like, I feel like people get FOMO and they just need to get the prospects. There's a couple question marks like who is the real Christopher Morrell? And we don't know that yet. Like if he sticks like and keeps doing what he's doing, then it's great value. But I have my concerns about who he is. Other than that, like the general range for, for these guys is pretty fair. You know, the G-Rod pick could look really good next year when he gets back on the mound and healthy. Veen... I've faded him a little bit, so I'd say that's probably like I don't group Veen in there with you know Marcelo Meyer and Luciano and Vargas. Like yep, Vargas same. is a top ten prospect for me. Meyer's a top twenty prospect. Luciano's a top twenty five prospect. Ellie De La Cruz certainly pushing that. Royce Lewis is a top twenty five prospect. Like Veen just doesn't fit there per se. But you know it's okay because I think there can be a difference of value, and Veen has the upside. If he gets that power, like he's running, so like that's a huge plus that we're seeing. So if he does get to that big time power that we know he can, like it, it could be fine. So yeah, when prospects start going, people get FOMO and they're like, I gotta get at least one top <laughs> yeah. whatever prospect. So people are gonna just jump in and start going for these guys. So I'm not surprised that they started going in this round. Yeah, the the one that did stand up for me, I think, was Zach Veen. Obviously, I've always liked Zach Veen, but I have dropped him down a bit down my rankings. He's still top 25 for me, but closer, obviously, he's down near, I think, near 25, not top 10 like I, or close top 10 like I had him at one point in time. I was ecstatic to get Jordan Lawler the next round, a pick, what is that, near pick one, like 156 or so. Obviously, Lawler's a top five prospect for me. Now, yeah, he's, he's a little bit away, but... I would have taken him over, obviously, over Mayer, over Luciano, over Veen. So I was really happy to get him there. And two picks after that, at pick 157, I believe that is, 
Jared Kelnick went. I think that's fair. I, I thought Kelnick would go about 150, so not overly surprised there. Some other inter- interesting picks in that round. Gavin Lux, who I'm kind of fading at this point. You know, we've been waiting for so long, and he's aiming for a decent average this year, but I think this this point, maybe he's just poor man's Jeff McNeil, which is still fantasy relevant, but I just don't think he ever even sniffs even like 70th percentile outcome of what we kind of thought for him as a prospect. The next pocket here, which really was intriguing, was down in round 13. We had a lot of young outfielders uh, going this round, starting with Dylan Carlson at 13-3. I took Josh Lowe, 13-6. Jaron Duran, 13-7. Joe Adele, 13-9. Jesus Sanchez, 13-10. And I'll even loop Alex Verdugo in there, 13-11 to Jake Devereaux. You know, Drew, you know, all those young guys, you know, if, if you were to invest in one of those guys right now, you know, Carlson, Lowe, Duran, Adele, Jesus Sanchez, which one are, do you feel more confident in moving forward? Hmm. I feel in an OBP league, I, I sort of am leaning towards Jesus Sanchez. Mm-hmm. But factoring in the speed, uh, I feel like maybe, I guess it depends on what you want to shoot for, but maybe a lower Duran would obviously be great options as well. I'm curious what you guys think of uh, Dylan Carlson. I've kind of always been lukewarm on him. I thought he was overvalued as a prospect. What did I call him the other day? Oh, the outfield Ryan McMahon. I think that's kind of what he is. Like, you know, Solid. I think he could be a decent player, like top 150, 175 in that range. He'll give you like 260, maybe 20 home runs, you know, throw in a handful of steals, four, five, six steals. But maybe about he's it. actually the safest pick in this range, but <laughs> um, it sort of got, might be, yeah. But it sort of got overshadowed by like him being overvalued at one point in time. And now it's gone. That's fair. Like maybe a little too far or I don't know. I guess it depends on where you like how you value safety versus what they could provide. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's a safe hitter. I think he's going to give you, you know, power wise, like we saw 18 homers last year in 619 plate appearances. He has five so far in 253 plate appearances this year. I think he's a 20 home run bat that chips in a few steals and has a decent average. So I think you're right. There's safety. I mean, it's kind of like, all right, so Verdugo, do you take the batting average or with with minimal power speed, or at least you get some power and speed with Carlson? So I I agree. I think there's the safety is is a good way to put it there where you know you're going to get production from him. And maybe he does unlock some power. I'm still kind of hanging on the fact that his big power season in the minor league has been a huge outlier of his career, and he's never done that in any other point. So that's why I lean closer to 20 home runs, but yeah. I could be wrong. He's, he's only 23 years old. He could grow into more power still for sure. Yeah, and, and with the you know Joe Adele, even Brandon, Brandon March, where did March go? He went. Yeah, that was a surprise. He fell pretty far. The end of the 18th, last pick of the 18th round. So, I mean, he fell another five rounds from here. Like both both the LA guys, Adele and Marsh, I'll probably get right up a little Patreon post about it soon. You know, overall, the Angels just don't have a great track record. Obviously, you look, okay, first off, they did not develop Otani. Let's just get that out of the way. Hmm. And Mike, I think Mike Trout would have been Mike Trout regardless of what work he was in. Like, it doesn't matter if he was in the Yankees, Kansas City, LA, Miami, doesn't matter. He's going to be Mike Trout. Outside of that, you look at both sides, pitching and hitting. They just, a lot of guys that just have not lived up to the hype, and I'm starting to wonder if Adele and Marsh are the next two. Like, I still love the talent. They still got, you know, 
great power speed blends, but just the strikeout issues for both of them. Like Marsh can't get out of his own way. I think the key rate is still well above 30%. We've seen Adele struggles and up and down. You know, I don't want to put quad A labels on these guys yet. They're way too young for that. But man, I don't know. I just, I'm not looking to invest in either of those guys right now. And Marsh was one I had some hope for coming into this year. You know, he showed a little bit of improvement with, you know, his approach, but he's kind of gone the opposite way and then some this year. And it's really affected his power speed. Obviously, not getting on base, can't steal bases if you don't get on base. So, yeah, he's one that I wanted to see where he fell to. He fell farther than I thought, but. I'm not surprised. He's gonna want to. I'm starting to fade both those guys at this point. But I think um, Trent Grisham falls into that too. He went and yeah, seventeen nine. Oh yeah, and then also yeah, Ben and Tendi in, the, in that round. Oh, Trevor Larnick went at the end of the rounds. Joey Weimer went beginning of that round. Love Joey. Obviously, he's got a lower floor. He still got some K issues, but he's got you know a thirty homer, twenty twenty five steal upside of everything clicks. So even. Even if he's just 2015 with 250, I think that could be very valuable. But, you know, a lot of the good names in that 17th round now that we're looking at it. So, Luis Garcia, Bryson Stott, Brayon Bayo, Gavin Williams, Nick Gonzalez, Estre Ruiz went there, who's obviously been absolutely ripping up the upper minors this year. Jackson Churio went. You probably had the young, the biggest age swing. <laughs> In back-to-back picks, you get Jackson Churio, who's, what, 18 right now, going at 17-10. The 17-11, you got Nelson Cruz going to Jake Devereaux, who likes – he likes them old guys. So – and then Thor goes in this round. Yoan Moncada fell around 17 to Jesse Roche, 17-15. So that's, what, pick – I don't know what pick that is, 210 or so. You know, Mankata, I'm I'm out with a Mankata. I'm I'm done waiting for that anything close to 2019 to resurface. The the metrics aren't that great. He's just doesn't he doesn't run anymore. So he needs the bat to be there, and the bat's just not there. So I'm 100 percent out on him at this point. And I thought he should have probably should have fallen even a little bit further. But Jesse taking a shot on some of these older guys. He t- took Joey Gallo a couple of rounds later. But and, uh, any thoughts on this uh, range, Chris? There's some interesting picks. I think that you can certainly get a good return on value here. You know, this is the range where I typically be looking to start getting some prospects if I've built win now early. But yeah, I think it's a fair spot with what Moncada's done so far. Unfortunately, he just hasn't really panned out. You know, Grisham could be good value in OBP league, especially Stott and Bone back to back. You know, those could both return value if all hits right. And then you even look down further. There's some fun names too, like Mitch Haniger. That went to you, Drew, but he could easily return huge value with where he went. And this is another range where there's some good prospects, like you know Brady House at 280, like great value there, in my opinion, because he's a top 25, top 30 prospect. And to get him at 280 versus where some of the other top 25, 30 prospects went, good return there. So I like that pick a lot. And then you kind of look down like Joey Gallo, like what do we even do with him at this point? Like 303 <laughs> overall, like I don't, even I don't know. know what to make of him. Like people ask me what to trade him for. Like I don't even know at this point. Like <laughs> it's hard. Dude. Yeah. Feels like a, a good value in OBP league though. Right. I mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, versus taking some other, I, I don't know. It feels, it feels like a pretty, a pretty safe bet to when other prospects are going in this range or a middle reliever. I mean, I don't know. 
I, I, I know he struggled a lot, but he still walks enough as long as he plays. Uh, I feel like that that's pretty that's pretty safe pick. Safe than some of the prospects. The, the losing the playing time, I guess. I mean, obviously, if that happens, then that that's problematic. But I mean, as long as he's playing, it, it feels like a pretty safe pick. Yeah, I mean, pick three hundred three. I guess it can't hurt, right? Like you, you're not gonna. It's not gonna burn you. Pick three hundred three at that point. So yeah, I guess I'm not. I'm not opposed to it. You know, Jesse had a very interesting draft. Like he took some risks. Like he got. He used to kind of scoop up a lot of the guys, the veterans that fell. Uh, starting with like he got Bellinger in round twelve. He got Blake Snell in thirteen. Moncada seventeen. Gallo nineteen. Or Keedy twenty. Any other guys here that he got that? Yeah, that's that's kind of really uh, Kyle Lewis, I guess, a little bit. But yeah, he was kind of get scooping up all these the older guys that people are starting to write off. So yeah, Gallo three hundred three. I guess I can't hate on that. But past the hour mark here, Drew, just any closing thoughts on how just the draft went as a whole, surprises, whatever your your thoughts on your own team? Just any uh, closing remarks here? Overall, I I think the the group that was assembled has done a really really good job. I would say one blanket surprise was some of the pitching prospects that that went earlier than I anticipated, I guess. Yeah, there's just, I mean, there's obviously a lot of talent in in several of them, but just with so many hurdles to clear and injuries happening so often, I I can't remember who said it on Twitter, but there was, it might have been Paul Spore or someone else basically said that like all all pitchers are like on the razor's edge of like injury. So yeah. I I don't know, just in general. Uh, yeah. I would say some of the pitching prospects where they were selected sort of surprised me, but o- overall the draft's been really good. I think. Yeah. Chris, how about you? Yeah. It's fun to follow. I wish I was drafting, but uh, yeah, it's, it's cool to see how values have changed. Cause you know, everybody in this draft values players differently, obviously, but We've also seen a lot of players' values change over this time. So, you know, kind of looking at that, it's cool to see and cool to follow. And also I think it's important to think about these values and change, like for trades and stuff, even though, you know, no one's drafting a real dynasty draft midseason. But it is important to think for trade values, like where where do these values fall? So I think it's good to follow, like the link's public, so you can go out and see that link if you want. And you can kind of see, and it's it's been fun to follow. So good work, boys. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. And just to kind of wrap it all up here, talking about how values have changed. Three years ago, that's what I think about, right? Three years ago, Victor Robles probably would have went, what, top 100 probably in drafts? Drafts, right? Yeah, yeah, top 100, maybe even top 50, uh, I think. And Drew just took him with his last pick about right before we came on the air. And that's... So round 34, pick three. So at pick 531, that's where Victor Robles <laughs> fell to. So at the show, so how values can change up and down. Like he got trapped after G-Man Choi. I don't think anybody would have thought that Robles would be going after G-Man Choi in a dynasty draft. But and that's that's how it, that's how the dominoes fell on this one and how Robles' careers went. But that's going to wrap us up. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Drew, thank you for coming on. This was This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, guys. It's been a it's been a wonderful time. Thank you.
Yeah, absolutely. You can follow his work over at Fantasy Six Pack. Follow him at Drew Sperling number one. You can follow Chris and I at Roto Clegg and at Eric Cross 04. And of course, our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work for Chris and I over at Fantrax HQ, Fantasy Pros, or over on our Patreon as well. And join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take care. You're craving Church's three-piece classic? There's no other option. Two crispy legs, a thigh, and a warm honey butter biscuit are the only way. And that's why we call it a classic. Church's Texas Chicken. Tap the banner to find your nearest location. Offer valid at participating locations.